welcome to Startup West, the podcast about building scalable startups in sunny Western Australia. My name is Danelle Cross. And I'm Natalie Milne, two of your three new hosts for 2020. You will meet our third partner in crime, Kaylee Norman, in episode two. We're looking forward to building on the fabulous community that Charlie has created. We're all about promoting the WA startup ecosystem by bringing you new and diverse West Aussie scalable businesses. Today, we are super excited to have our first guest for the year and our first guest ever in the host seats. Lacey Filipich, founder of Money School, Maker Kids Club and author of the soon-to-be-released book, Money School, Become Financially Independent and Reclaim Your Life. Welcome to the Startup West podcast, Lacey. Thanks for having me. Firstly, thank you for joining us for our first ever episode as hosts. We are super excited to have you as our guest and also celebrate with you as a West Australian entrepreneur and a newly minted author. So Money School is released on Feb 18. Can you tell us a bit about your first book and the concept behind it? Well, it's interesting having this book launch. It feels like it's come out of nowhere, but it's actually 10 years of me thinking about how to teach people about money. So it wasn't really hard for me to write because I've been thinking about this for so long, but it does feel really wonderful to have it all in one spot and to have had so much editing input. So it's been through nearly five rounds, four and a half, we'll say, of editing, which means that this engineer who is not, you know, I wasn't born to write, I was born to talk in numbers and dot points, it feels like a much better quality story and a much better resource than I've produced before. So I'm really proud of it. That's fantastic. So you had a lot of material online already. Did you have to recreate it or was there a lot of shortcuts involved? Well, the content, I think I understood what I wanted to be in there, but I did write every single word in this book for this book. So I've written blogs before and I've done lots of videos before. And so I knew which concepts I wanted to convey, but writing it as a book from beginning to end, so it all fit together. And so that the story was told comprehensively was important to me. So um, although I drew on all my knowledge and all of my IP, I think it's all pretty new what's in there. Now, I'm super interested around the process of publishing. So just wondering if you can talk us kind of briefly through the process, and I'm sure many of the listeners are as well. Yeah, well, it's been a baptism of fire. You can definitely say that. And there's lots of ways that people go with this. I've gone down with a traditional publisher, and a lot of a lot more common these days is self-publishing, of course. But traditional publishing, usually what you would do is write a book proposal, and you would either get an agent or you yourself would propose it to the publisher, and then you'd go through the process of acquisition. I was a little bit different because Penguin ask me if I would like to write a book. Awesome. Yeah, I thought it was spam when it came <laughs> in my email. I thought, oh, that can't be real, but there's a phone number, I'm going to call it. And I got Penguin Head Office. I was like, oh my goodness. This is real. Uh, yeah, it was pretty intense um, and wonderful because you do feel sometimes I think like you're screaming into the void when you've got IP businesses and, um, you know, education and information businesses. You're kind of like, is anyone listening? It was nice that someone was listening. Yeah, sure um, It took six months, though, to get to a contract. And the reason for that is the process to sign the contract is quite long. Mm. I think if I had used an agent, it would have been quicker and probably more streamlined. But because I'd had the publisher approach me, mm. I was like, nah, I'm just going to do it myself. Because mm. also I'm very curious and yeah. stubborn and I wanted to know how it worked. And that's why it took six months. Yeah. <laughs> And the process for that was I still had to write a book proposal, but I already knew what they wanted. So that was a bit of a shoe-in. Then it goes through pre-acquisition, acquisition, acquisition, then you have commercial terms, and then you have the full legal terms. So there's four stages, which is why it takes so long. And there's lots of legal mumbo-jumbo in there, and it's pretty fascinating. So I've got some great support from the Australian Society of Authors who have a contract review process that they'll help you with, and you give them your contracts. And they did both of them, the commercial one and the full-blown legal one, and tell you what's fair and what's not fair. Mm. Mm. 
that could be your next book, How to Publish a Book. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of those ones and I am such a noob with all of this. But then you sign, you finally signed a contract and they go, great, can you deliver that manuscript like next week? Uh, it's not quite that bad but mine was because we had talked about it in July and they said, oh, we'd love to release it February the following year and there's a certain timeline you have to follow. They were like, we want the book by the end of February and I signed on the 14th of January and I got them to agree to extend that to the end of March. And I think what happens a lot with publishing is there's probably a lot of fat built into those but mm. I'm very deadline driven. So apparently I'm going down in history with my editor as the person who actually delivered everything on time which is apparently quite Love rare. Love it. That's <laughs> the engineering that's, background. Yeah, that's totally me though. I'm project yeah. management. Just tell me the date. I will get it to you and by the I'll date. Get it to you. So you think, okay, I've handed in my manuscript 29th of March, done. No, that's when the real work begins. Then you right. go through editing. So there's... Uh, First of all, structural edit. That's where they rearrange things. They go, move this chapter here, mm-hmm. take that bit out. We want this in. Um, and then I rewrote probably 25% of the book off that. So that was like a full month that I spent doing that edit. Then you do a copywriting edit where they go through and find your grammatical stuff. Then there's a couple of rounds of proofreading. And then, of course, when I read the audio book out loud, I did that the week before we had to sign off the coffee. So I found 12 more problems, like grammatical errors and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I, I feel um, like looking at the manuscript when I first handed it in to when it got finally signed off eight months after I handed the first draft in, like eight months mm, with all wow. those cycles, it's a, it's a different book. And it's that's where the value, I think, in yeah. the traditional publishing yeah. is. I've had five sets of eyes go through this book mm. um, and they are professional writers and editors and they're just much better at telling a story than I am naturally and that's why I'm, I think traditional publishing has its value. Like I know it's not as popular uh, because self-publishing is a lot more profitable, a lot quicker, um, and there are publishers that are traditional that are going more to that kind of model, the speed model. Mm. It's 19 months since we first talked to Penguin and this book's going to come out. It's a long time, but I'm really delighted that I took that long. It's amazing and it must feel so good to have it in your hot little hands. We've got a copy right here. You can't see it, but we are we are touching money school right now. Um, that's um, soon to be released, two weeks yeah, from two today. Weeks. Yeah, yeah, 14 sleeps, but who's counting? Only me. Uh, no, very exciting. It does, it feels like, it's like having a baby. It takes so long to make and then it comes out and you're like, wow, I made that. Yeah, um, awesome. And then the real work begins. Awesome. Uh, so so on that, how are you finding the publicity trail? Oh, it's interesting. It's just starting and the reason why they went for a February release is because January is such a quiet time in the media. So many journalists and producers have been, they didn't come back until the last week of January. So when I thought we might try for a December, you know, Christmas release, they were like, don't even bother, wait till <laughs> till February. It's just getting started in earnest. So this morning I had a TV interview and I've got radio interviews and more podcasts and the wonderful publicity team at Penguin are booking all those for me, which is wonderful, but some of it is off my relationships that like this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, people have said, oh, please come on or would you like to be on? And so at the moment, yeah, I'm just basically talking a lot, which I'm pretty good at. So that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So Lacey, um, your book, Money School, um, now I understand you've had some IP issues around this book and your business, Money School, as well. And this might be really particularly interesting for our entrepreneurial um, kind of listeners and those in the startup ecosystem. Can you just sort of talk us through what you can around that situation that you've had? Absolutely. So the IP aspect for me is uh, branding trademark stuff, not the patents. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But The Business Money School, I came up with that name in 2010 because it's intuitive. Like Mm. it's what it says on the box, right? 
don't have to explain it. Yeah. And I'd been running my business for seven years when the Barefoot Investor, Scott Pape, um, I got an email. I actually had a phone call first. Again, I was like, oh, my goodness, what's happened here? Because I've got a couple of videos where I explain my differences from Scott Pape. I agree with most of what he says. I really dislike his take on money and marriage. And so um, I thought I was going to get some kind of like, you know, you've been rude online or something like that. But it turned out to be his commercial manager calling to offer to buy Money School. And he's particularly interested in the name and he wanted the business name, the trading name, the trademark which I hold, which I applied for myself and there's a lesson in getting a professional to apply for your trademarks out of that, um, which I could go into a bit of depth about because uh, I did it myself in 2014 and I didn't do a very good job. But still I have the trademark in the right class for one classification where I could have had 100 for the sure. same fee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and he was keen to buy it all up and he wanted me not using it anymore and he wanted me basically out of the way as a competitor. And he was particularly keen on it, I think, for a title of a book, ironically. At this stage, I wasn't thinking about books. I was just doing financial education. We had a a chat on the phone. Um, He explained why he wanted it. And um, I had the luxury of being able to say, no, I don't want to sell. So um, he said, that's fine. Um, I'll find another title, which if anyone's seen his books, you will have seen that he has got an alternative title um, and he's not using it. So I thought that was the end of it and we've kind of amicably, you know, parted ways and just Mm. stay loosely in touch. And then, of course, (laughs) in um, June last year, uh, a PR announcement came out, Money School, Scott Pape's TV documentary series. Wow. And that apparently got leaked ahead of time. So they didn't have all their ducks in a row. And he had paid a lady who I have a, you know, an understanding with who had moneyschool.com.au. I've got .org.au. He bought her URL from her um, and set about trying to use the name. And so this is a great lesson for entrepreneurs out there who, like, look at me, I'm tiny compared to Scott Pape. He's, you know, he, he pretends he's the underdog, but he's sold nearly 2 million books. Like he's the best-selling author in the last two years. He's the big guy here. He's the one with all the power and the money. Um, And I thought, you bastard. That's so rude. And he didn't give any forethought or any contact on this. And I I was really upset by it. I did have a moment of personal like, that's that's really quite thoughtless. Considering you have my phone number, you know who I am and we've spoken before, you could have let me know. Mm. And, of course, it's Foxtel, so I didn't know whether he had just not told them or whether he had, you know, they had made some kind of production mm. direction. But rather than abusing him, I um, wrote a very politely worded letter to Foxtel saying, um, and after I'd spoken to Penguin, they were like, yes, please do this, um, he's tried to buy this off me. I said no. Mm-hmm. So that's actually opened him up under consumer law, according mm. to my legal advice, mm. Mm. and um, because it, it's potentially deceitful misconduct, um, mm. you know, and, and not not um, not kosher, basically. And I said also, by the way, my book is coming out at the same time because he was due to launch this month as his documentary series, and it's got the same title. Um, and so... I got a, um, an email back from them a couple of weeks later acknowledging that they had received it and that they were considering it. And then I think it was um, I think it was October last year that um, I followed up with them and they said, yes, we've decided to change the name of the documentary. So it didn't cost me any legal fees. It was one politely worded letter with a bit of follow-up. Um, and now he's not using my name. But it just goes to show that um, you've got to stand up for your IP. Absolutely. And it is a criteria. Yes. You have to show that you're defending it. So I have had this three people I've contacted in the past 10 years saying, you can't use that in the way you're using mm. it um, and had a bit of back and forth with them. 
And that's it's mostly been very amicable. It hasn't required any legal intervention, that kind of stuff. But um, on this particular instance, I felt strongly enough and I'm glad I did. So for any other entrepreneurs out there that have a trademark or a brand and someone appropriates it, um, you're well within your rights to stand up for yourself and you should do that and at least have a crack. It doesn't mm. mean it's going to cost you legal fees. But I feel very good now that it's been changed and that, hey, my book is the only thing called Money School coming out this month. <laughs> this fighting spirit and you, you being an entrepreneur, did that rear its head when you were younger? Uh, I think, have you ever seen there's a meme and there's a little girl and she's got a, a boy who's taller than her and she's got him pressed up against the wall with a stick in her hand and the bottom of it says, they're leadership skills, I tell you, or something <laughs> yes. like that. We used to get called bossy. Now it's leadership skills. I get in trouble every time I call either of my children bossy. I'm bossy. It is. I'm, I own it. Uh, it's always been like that. And I have learned to stick up for myself over time. And I think part of that is being an engineer which is, you know, it's a mostly male-dominated workplace, wherever you go with that sort of stuff, I've had to learn to speak up, to stick up for myself and to really own what I'm saying and not back down and the squeaking wheel gets the oil. So, yeah, I guess it's, a, it's sort of become a philosophy for me and, um, and I do find myself with my daughter now being like, no, you're allowed to fight. You're allowed to, like, <laughs> argue that point. You don't Absolutely. have to just hold. Um, so I, I actually think it's an important thing for everyone to learn but particularly for young women if they feel like they're going to be uh, overwhelmed or people are going to ignore them or that whole, you know, man talking over them in meetings, that sort of thing. I think if you have that skill set, it will serve you no matter what kind of job you choose. So how do you go from chemical engineer to the founder of Money School? <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty odd <laughs> path, isn't it? Um, so chemical engineering, I love problem solving, love mm. problem solving. And that's how I've ended up in engineering. I love maths, love physics, my favourite things. You know, I really enjoyed them in school, though ironically I use my economics and English skills more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my economics teacher, Mrs Chakravorty, will be delighted. Um <laughs> But, yeah, problem solving. And it's interesting. There's so many um, entrepreneurs that are engineers and I think that is to do with entrepreneurialism is problem solving. Mm. Both of them do the same thing. They just come at it from different angles. One's a more mathsy, uh, physics-y approach. The other one is more, well, what do I need to do to get there? So I kind of see entrepreneurialism and engineering is very similar. I have ended up doing money school because um, while I was working as an engineer, I had an experience of a health breakdown and it coincided with my sister committing suicide, um, a couple of other big things happening in my life. And I had a moment of like, oh my gosh, what am I doing working myself to death? Yeah. This is silly. And so I decided to redesign my life. And when I was doing that, my friends were going, how can you afford to take time off work? And I was like, well, I've been saving since I was 10 and investing since I was 19. What have you been doing? And they were all <laughs> buying cars with loans. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, I, I hadn't realised how lucky I was to have had my mother and my father teaching me about money. One, what to do, one, not what not to do. Um, but both definitely lots of lessons in there. And so that's where I was like, we have to teach people about money. And that's where Money School came from. And so that's a decade ago this month, 1st of February. So um, I've been doing it for 10 years now, trying to teach people about money so that I particularly care about young kids learning about it. And I take a very engineering approach to it all. You'll see when you get through the book, there's some engineering references. <laughs> because it is, it's a problem solving thing. Yeah. And we solve, I think, as a society, we solve for the wrong problem. We solve yeah. for, I want more money. We don't solve for, I want more time. And that's what we should be solving for. And so if you just frame your, um, your everything you approach as an entrepreneur or an engineer as what problem am I solving and you make sure you've got it right and you test your assumptions, you've got a good chance of coming with an outcome. I'm just going from it from the entrepreneurial an angle this time. <laughs> Love it. Thanks for sharing that, Lacey. That was a really important, important lesson. Um, so you've, you've got a book and also Money School, your business, but you've also got Make a Kids Club as well, which I feel really 
privilege to say that my daughter, Matilda, um, is one of your alumni through your program. She absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. But I was just wondering if you can talk us through this startup, Make a Kids Club. Mm-hmm. It's kind of origin and purpose as well. Yeah. So it's a spin-off from Money School, effectively. Yeah. I started with this deeply held philosophy that I must teach parents how to teach their kids about money and instead of going through schools and instead of teaching the kids directly. And what I found was the parents just kept coming back to me, can you just teach my kids, please? Mm. You know, a lot of my time was spent then I teach the parents about money 90% of the time and then the last bit's about how to teach their kids about money. And as I was teaching these parents and doing it, I get was getting these requests, please teach my kids. And then what I was finding was I had this one family come back to me um, and it was a 10-year-old child, <laughs> Ash, and she was like, Lacey, I've got $3,500, what should I do with it? And I fell off my chair and it <laughs> yeah. turned out she had been selling lip balm. Her job oh. in the family was to make lip balm. She makes it out of olive oil and beeswax. It's the best lip balm ever. It stays on forever. And um, she'd been selling it to the local ladies at church. It was it was gorgeous. And she was saying, what do I do with the money? And it was as I was helping her understand how, how to plan the business and she was wondering about do I need insurance and all this kind of stuff, and it was stuff that her mum didn't have um, answers for, even though her mum's quite entrepreneurial, hadn't done products before. Mm. And so I was answering these questions and um, – it was contagious. All these yeah. other kids were starting businesses. Because when you hear a 10-year-old say, oh, I made three grand, you know, like, you're in, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so all these kids started businesses. And what I found was for these kids who couldn't get part-time jobs, because it was their first chance to earn real money, they were, like, just absolutely delighted at the opportunity. And then when you talk to them about how much it cost and they did their hourly rate, they kept the money. And so it turned out to be this really good way to teach saving. And so that's my goal for kids in primary school. If I can teach them how to earn and save, then that's great. The investing and the debt can come in high school, but those two skills are fundamental ones. And so I kind of fell into it. And Mm. out of that, I had all these kids who needed help. And so in 2017, I actually built a course for them saying, here's how you go about launching a business and um, all the mistakes I'd made. And I ran my first business when I was 10. And you kind of feel infallible when you're that age and you're just willing to have a go. And it just turns out to be this magic age, 10 to 12. You get Mm. them earning this money. And then once they've earned the money, I talk to them about saving and they understand how money is earned and they keep the money. So in terms of financial capability, it was really a silver bullet for me. So rather than trying to teach parents, I teach adults still, obviously, that's what money school is about now. It's adult education. Mm -hmm. But when I'm asked to teach kids about money, I say, I'll teach them how to start their business. And then out of that, they'll learn about money. And they don't even know that they're really supposed to be learning Mm. about money. It just happens because that's what happens when you run a business. So it's a bit sneaky. Mm. Um, And it's ended up going into schools. So that's fantastic. We've had lots of schools signing up for it, which is wonderful. And we went through the Curtin Ignition program to help shape that out in 2018. And that's helped us get off the ground. And so, yeah, I'm I'm delighted. I feel like it's if there's one thing I can do for kids, it's the thing I want to do. Mm. So I, I really enjoy spending time in that business. And is that just schools in WA or have you got a bit of a national reach? Well, we had our first school in Queensland last oh, year. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, because it's online. It can be anywhere that has internet. I've focused mostly in WA to start with just because I've got the relationships here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's word of mouth at the start, as you can imagine, rather than spending money on advertising. Mm. But because it's online, yeah, anyone in Australia, anyone in the world can do it. Thanks, Lacey. Um, So what advice would you give to Perth founders? Perth's a small place, but it's a really engaged place. It's wonderful. And one of the things that I missed, because I was having babies during all this, I didn't get out very much. But Mm. I would encourage anyone in Perth thinking about starting a business to try and get into the networks. So there's great networks through Curtin Ignition, through Space Cubed, Roof and Flux, all of the different accelerators. You don't necessarily have to participate, but get along to the functions, learn from everyone you can, because 
whatever problem you've got, someone has been through it before. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. A lot of people ask me why I did Ignition um, for Make a Kids Club. And it's because I made so many mistakes with Money School that I didn't want to make the second time around. So that's the other thing is be aware that there's lots of education opportunities. You don't necessarily get taught this stuff in school. You're not expected to know it. And you can make costly mistakes that are avoidable. So ask as many questions as you need to. And one, I just, I'm delighted in Perth about how friendly the mm. experienced people are. You know, you can you can get a meeting with someone like Andrew Larson. You can talk to Derek Jarrett. You can see Tim Brewer. You can, you can go and ask Brody McCulloch questions like most of them are very friendly and open to chatting with you actually I'll say all of them are I haven't mm. seen anyone be rude or say no piss off you can't ask that um, they might be busy people so you've got to be thoughtful about how you approach them but they're really willing to help so just remember you can ask and for those with information or education businesses that are a bit different from products it can feel like you're screaming into the void for a very long time <laughs> I certainly found that as I was building my following and mm. I you know you have those moments of should I even continue and then someone will say, oh, I saw your post the other day. That was fantastic. Or someone will make a comment about a video you did and you know you're getting through. You'll only get a very small percentage of that feedback. There are people listening. So just Absolutely. be aware and, mm. and kind of persist because if I'd given up on money school in year six, which is entirely possible, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything that you um, know now that you'd wish you'd known at the beginning? Oh, that IP story, I think. Yeah. So what happened was I did a short course with, uh, it was Bubdesk. Meg mm. Burridge, who's a Perth founder, she ran a course, um, I think it was called Take Flight or something like that, and it was one night a week for 14 weeks and one IP lawyer got up mm. and said, here's what a trademark is and I was sitting there in 2014 going, oh, my gosh, I need to trademark money school. Mm. And because I wasn't making much money at that point, I was like, oh, I'll just do it myself. And, of course, I put it in the wrong, like you're supposed to put it in uppercase. I put it in as a composite with my logo and I only picked one subclassification. So when I went to see this lawyer a couple of years later when I had some money and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it properly, she was like, not very good. And with IP, you can't do it again. Mm. You can't amend it. It's done. So I've had to spend money now fixing that problem. I'm really glad I did it because if I hadn't had that in mm. place, then maybe Scott Pape would have just taken that name. So I'm glad that I did something. Something is better than nothing. Yes. But with something like legal advice, with your terms and conditions, with your anything to do with IP, it's worth it to get the advice. And there are certainly um, people who will have that 15-minute chat with you. When they say to you, look, pay someone to do it, they're not trying to get your money. They're trying to save you a lot of heartache. Mm. <laughs> so I would say that's, that's certainly one. And, again, just asking as many questions. I wish I'd known all the amazing things that were around when I started money school, but I did it pretty much by myself. And then I discover curtain ignition and then I discover, <laughs> you know, space cubed and roof, you know, like I feel like I missed a lot. So I wish I had um, known about those networks and understood the value of them uh, when I started money school. Would have saved me a lot of headaches. So who do you admire as a leader, someone that you've sort of guided you through the process? Oh, I'm going to sound like a total fangirl and say Janelle. <laughs> I, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't expecting that. No. But, um, I see. There's a lot of people in Perth who aren't necessarily the faces of businesses, but they're the faces of the support networks. And I hadn't really known what I was getting in for with Curtin Ignition, um, but it's one of the networks that I value the most. And I I don't know if anyone really appreciates how much work goes on in the background to help people prepare and apply for that and then to help them afterwards. And people like Danelle, people like Charlie Gunningham and Cheryl Frame, um, those people who aren't trying to be entrepreneurs necessarily, but uh, or that maybe they are, they have got businesses like Danelle has a business, that sort of thing. Um, 
but they're just there trying to support others. They're the people I really admire because it can be really frustrating, I imagine, watching all these mistakes happen. I'm getting annoyed at people that don't do what they say they're going to do or that kind of stuff. But these people are just, they give selflessly and Danelle's an excellent example of that. Oh, Lacey, you are too kind. Thank you <laughs> But it that. is a pretty supportive network. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I can't believe the support that you get. Uh, I can't believe how many people are willing to help you and how much time and energy gets invested in building these networks. I know it's everyone's going to benefit from it, but I really feel like we're building the future. It's fantastic yeah. that we have such a wonderful network here and we're very lucky. We are. I agree with that. Like WA is small but mighty. We really are very supportive and, you know, and this is part of it. This This podcast itself is part of promoting, you know, all the awesome businesses that are coming out exactly. of WA. And if the government could just get on board and match Queensland and Victoria oh, for their payroll tax breaks, their free rent um, mm-hmm. and their fund, then we would be much mightier. But we I would. think considering we're doing this all privately and the uh, the support, although is there, I would consider to be a measly by comparison. Yeah, um, If we can get them on board, we'll be that much better. Exactly. Mm, yeah. All right, so now for the exciting rapid-fire questions. Oh, no prep for these ones. This will be fun. No. Zero preparation. Zero preparation. <laughs> <laughs> Who should we interview next? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to have to think about that one. But I, So with Women in Technology WA, I mm. see amazing female entrepreneurs. So there's probably about 50 that spring to mind. I do think you should um, interview Pia Turchinov. And the reason why Good I think one, you should in, in, interview her, she's both an entrepreneur, she's a board director on entrepreneurial businesses and she's very well connected and she has a legal background. Her story is fascinating but her advice is excellent. So Pia Turchinov, I will nominate. Woo-hoo. Fantastic. If you were at a bar, what would you be ordering? Pretty much a mojito or a cider every time. Oh, bubbles as well. Anyway, bubbles anyway, as well. Yeah, I bubbles can vouch well. for the bubbles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of things. Okay. <laughs> Founders as a solo or as a team? Uh, I have my mother nominally as my business partner. She just basically babysits for her share and does the accounts at the moment, poor woman. Um, I think a team is better. That saying that um, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with a team. I regularly consider looking for co-founders just because the moral support is helpful and Mm. many brains are better than one. Yeah. And what does self-care look like for you? Uh, Making sure that I sleep well is Mm. the primary one, which is a challenge with two young kids, but it's a priority. Mm -hmm. I have to make it a priority. Mm -hmm. I try to eat well and do some movement. Just I know that if I don't do those things that eventually I hit a brick wall. I read every night and I read novels. I don't read many nonfiction books. I read to relax. And so I actually find reading or playing a game of Sudoku on my phone um, is about zoning out and not thinking because like most entrepreneurs, it's very hard to turn my brain off. So those rituals help me relax. AI, like it or loathe it? Like it. Implementation is important. It's just like guns. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. AI doesn't kill people, but AI can do damage if we don't manage it well. Okay, apart from your wonderful book that's coming out, Money School, what book would you recommend? I'm going to recommend a novel series for anyone who wants to learn to write. Now, it's Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow for sci-fi books in each because Orson Scott Card is one of the best writers I've seen and the way that he communicates is extremely eloquent and I think every entrepreneur has to be capable of writing well and speaking well because you've got to be the face of your brand. And if you want to learn how to write well, take a lesson from mm. Orson Scott Card. And you'll enjoy the series too if you like sci-fi. 
Awesome. Thank you, Lacey. Thank you for being our first ever for us as hosts. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and listening to all your lessons, your authenticity, um, your kindness and your generosity uh, to others. We know that you volunteer and work you know, tirelessly in the startup ecosystem and also with the Witwa team. Um, so we thank you very much. Just a reminder to everyone that Money School is out on February 18. I cannot wait to get my hands on a book, which I have pre-ordered. Um, so we really encourage everyone to support a local business and duck into your favourite bookstore to purchase one. Um, we would like to absolutely wish you and your team uh, all the very best for 2020. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It was really fun and you guys are naturals at this. Thank thanks. you.